0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. I'm excited this morning. Um, probably like all of you, got my gym pass this week, got my read the Bible in a year plan this week. Excited to fail in February. Maybe earlier, you can keep me accountable on one, please. Um, I'm excited here because Kai is away on vacation. I'm just praying that he's blessed with some rest. Uh, And we get to preach just an awesome, awesome account. Uh, I think you're going to love it if you haven't heard this one. This is an exciting one to be a part of. If you weren't here last week, Jesse was here and he was preaching on John 8. And I'm going to back up just for a second because Kai gave me 41 verses to preach through this morning. That's, that's a titch much, but we're going to get through it because it is an incredible story worth looking at. But just to go backwards a little bit in, in, um, in 8, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's having these conversations, but he's made a very bold, clear statement that he is God. Jesus is saying without any questions, he's, he uses the terms I am. He says, truly, truly, before Abraham was, I am. This is a bold proclamation that Jesus is God. It goes back to Exodus 3.14 where God uses the same name, I am, and Jesus is applying it to himself Pharisees aren't loving that, not a big fan. If you don't know what Pharisees are, they're the religious leaders, the the Jewish religious leaders of the time, and they're a little bit ticked off, so they pick up stones ready to execute Jesus, and Jesus goes and hides himself and makes his way out of there. That's where we're at when we come up to chapter 9. Let's just pray as we enter into chapter 9 that God would give us insight. God, I pray that those here that don't know you, that they would hear the compassion that you have. God, I pray that those who don't know you, that they they would hear you maybe for the first time, hear a message of hope. A message of freedom and excitement about what you can do in their lives. And God, for those of us who know you, may we be reminded, even in our suffering, of who you are and what you've done. Amen. John chapter 9. Crack it open. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. Uh, And if there's not, ask your neighbor. There's probably one down the way a little bit. We'd love you to open it. You're welcome to highlight it. There's pens there that'll help you out. Let's read with me John chapter 9. We're just going to start right till, well, it's when I stop. (laughs) As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, because the night is coming when no one can work. I am the light of the world or I, when I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied it, the clay, to his eyes. And Jesus said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he we went away and washed and came back seeing. Fascinating. Just that little bit is just a fascinating little part to, to think about, to read. Jesus is, the first part I, I just love, that Jesus is about to be executed. People are coming after him. He's claimed to be God. They've picked up rocks. They're coming after him, and he's escaping the temple, and on his way, he passes by this man that's born blind, and Jesus, once again, as we see over and over through scripture, is just he just stops, and he has compassion. This is something, in fact, I was, I was talking to Pastor Jeremy about it this week. He said, you see this theme throughout through the book of John and through other parts of scripture where Jesus, he has these these missions, he's on way, or there's a crazy amount of people around him and you see him like stop and look at Lazarus or you see hordes of people and he meets Bartimaeus. There's always this scene where Jesus stops and he sees the broken and the needy and the sad and the downtrodden and he just stops and pauses to, to have compassion on these people. Jesus and his disciples, they come across this man who is probably fairly well known. It sounds like he's on the outside of the temple, and he's fairly well known because even the disciples know that he's been born blind because they ask this question about his disability. And it, it seems to be a common question with the Jewish population. <clears throat> who sinned? I feel like that is a crazy rude question. Like, imagine you came in here with Sula, she's got a broken foot. And I was like, oh, Who sinned? What'd you do this week? It's just like remarkably rude. He's sitting there, the disciples are with Jesus, and it's like they don't okay, we know for a fact that this guy's blind because of sin, like that's their opinion, right? It's factual to them. It's not if somebody had sinned, like, Jesus, was this because of sin? No, it's, oh, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? And if you, you think about the question, it's even weirder because they're asking if it was possibly him that sinned and he was born blind? Like, I, I would stop and think, that makes no sense. I did stop and think, that makes no sense. But finding out this isn't that abnormal for the Jewish population. They actually had a teaching that you could sin in the womb, that an a, a, a infant before born in the womb could sin. This concept, it was taught by Jewish leaders. It comes from the story, the account of Jacob and Esau, where Jacob is reaching for the heel. I don't mean to laugh, but they considered this wrestling in the womb, and they considered that sin. So this was an example to them that, oh, because of what happened here, you can sin in the womb. And as a result, God could, as a result, disable people because they're grabbing each other's heels in the womb. That's what Jewish tradition taught. So this, this question wasn't that far off. It wasn't really strange. For us it is. And I'll just for clarity before we move on, it's not a biblical thing. We don't believe that. Um, But Jesus responds with this, and you can follow along in the word. It says, it wasn't this man that sinned, or it wasn't that his parents have sinned. Meaning it's his his blindness is not the cause of his sin. And even better, it's not discipline that's the purpose of his blindness. Jesus is so amazing when he just starts to open his mouth. I love, I love the way he says it. He says, it's not that this man sinned. It's not that his parents sinned. But listen, what does it say? It says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God allowed this. God allowed this blindness. God allowed this suffering. God allowed this lifetime. Yeah, God allowed this lifetime of suffering so that he could fulfill a purpose in him. God allowed this suffering in his life for the greater purpose of redemption. We're going to see that story play out. The greater purpose of redemption, God allows. Let's just pause and look at this for a moment. Let's just look at what that means. God allows for a moment suffering in our lives. They seem like forever, but they're for a moment. They're for a moment. Even if it's your whole life, it's for a moment. When we consider the light of eternity, God allows suffering in your life for the greater purpose of redemption. And sure, there are times where your suffering is the result of sin, absolutely. There's there's times in your life where you openly act in defiance of God of, of just as good wisdom and the results just naturally hurt. But there are cases in our lives where suffering is so far out of our hands and it's not the response to our sin. We can see throughout scripture that God allows suffering over and over again, Old Testament to New Testament, God has allowed suffering. God has permitted or allowed something to happen in someone's life or in your life right now. In this moment, God is allowing or permitting suffering in your life. And why does He say it? He says, So that the works of God might be displayed. Like, I don't know how old this beggar was but i know his entire life he suffered they say he's a man so he's over 18 i don't know how long this man has suffered but i bet i bet it felt like forever i bet there's days where he could not go any further he felt like he couldn't get through or maybe he couldn't cry any more tears and he didn't want to ask for any more money and he's just exhausted from suffering exhausted from being lonely exhausted in his blindness And when asked about the cause of his suffering, Jesus says, it has a purpose. It has a purpose. That through the suffering, through through his healing, God's incredible power is about to be on display. Like imagine you knew in your suffering that you're like, oh, God is going to put his power on display through this. So I'm just going to rest on him. I'm just going to wait on him. And your suffering isn't without purpose. It's not, it's not in vain for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's, it's maybe that, that through your pain and through your sickness and through your hurt, through your brokenness, that God is going to do something unbelievable. And it's going to shake you and rock you. And all those around you are going to see the power of God's transforming work in your life through your suffering. I, I Picture this, this blind man sitting there outside the temple begging for alms and, and daily people would come by and they would say these same stupid things that they just said to him then that the disciples just thoughtlessly said. His whole life he's heard it. In fact, further, he's probably thought it his whole life. What did I do? Maybe what did my parents do? That's what his life is. And for the first time possibly, I don't know the story, the first time this, this man's sitting there, somebody comes with a different message. And this rabbi that's surrounded by disciples has a different word. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It wasn't because of his sin. It's not because of his parents' sin. It's that because we, God, has a great plan. Imagine him hearing that. That must have been so sweet for him to hear. Jesus continues on. Let's continue on in the story here. Uh, Look at five. It says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Six says, Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. that That's odd. It's okay. Just say that's weird. That's a weird thing. It's a little bit gross. It's a little bit of a gross thought. In fact, I saw a pastor online choose to do this to someone on stage. I think you're missing the point. So <laughs> we're going to, it's like... There is, throughout scripture, you see healing. that You see Jesus healing people. You see like Bartimaeus the blind, where Jesus, in his sweetness, and to Bartimaeus' favor, he just says, your faith, go, your faith has made you well. We see him touch the eyes of others, touch the ears, touch the leper, just no spit, no mud, just touching them, and they, they go and get healed. We see people from distances go, go home, your son's been healed. Like, that's, that's, all. and this guy's, okay, but you're going to spit in my eyes, this feel, this just it seems odd, and I don't necessarily I don't necessarily have the answer as to why Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, and then. But but there is some speculation. There, there's a couple. Let me give you the one I, I think it sounds incredible. This idea that Je- in Colossians we see that Jesus is the creator. This idea that that the creator at the beginning of time scooped down and took took dirt and formed it and created man seems to be. Replicated here because remember that he, he had no eyesight. It's not like he's recovering his eyesight, like he had working eyeballs before. He had nothing. He was born blind. I don't know if it's a new retina or cornea or lens or eyeball, but it never worked. It never existed. And Jesus scoops down and gets dirt and creates. Maybe he's reminding people of the great story of creation that he is God and He can create. From the dirt. That's, that's a fascinating thought. But there's something else happening here. There's something else that I think is just equally as incredible to think of. So the Jews had had this, I would, maybe they would say, it's a weird thing they do. They would take like a, a commandment, say um, the Sabbath. Let's rest on the Sabbath. They take the commandment. Observe the Sabbath. The Jews thought that that's not enough. God said it, sounds good, but we want to add more. So the Jews have this wild thought that they're going to add lists and, lists and lists and lists and lists and lists and lists of rules, all the things you have to do to do God's law, to, to keep that commandment. They created a series of laws, things that you have to do that they interpret as sinful if you don't. Not God interpreting, they interpreted it. And I, if you're like me, you'll probably love these. I, I listed off a couple because these are great. So here, let's look at some of the rules that the Jewish people had in place to make sure that they added to God's law, things like this. <laughs> you can't look in the mirror on the Sabbath, because you, <laughs> you may see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it. That would be considered <laughs> reaping. <laughs> if the lights were on and the Sabbath started, which it started at sundown, you couldn't turn them off, you couldn't blow them out, um, and if they hadn't been lit yet, you can't light them, you had to wait till the whole Sabbath was over, it was unlawful for you to move furniture. Now, I think a rabbi must have had a mistake here, so they added to that law. So it's illegal to move furniture, except you could move a ladder, but only four steps. Otherwise, you're in sin. Obviously, right? This is, um, ladies, you couldn't wear any jewelry on the Sabbath because it might be construed as carrying a burden. How heavy are your gold necklaces? This is one of my favorites. You're you're allowed to eat a radish on the Sabbath. You're allowed to eat a radish. But you're not allowed to dip them in salt. Because if you left it in salt for too long, it might get pickled. And pickling was against the Jewish law on the Sabbath. So there's a risk that you might be pickling your radish, so you can't dip it in salt. Now, I fantastic looking it up, they actually had they actually had groups of religious leaders talking about pickling and how long you could leave different things in salt and when, at what point it becomes sin. This is awesome. And Keep in mind, if you break these laws, you're living in sin and you're going to have to go to the temple and do your sacrifices and give them your money because this is how they operate. And then it gets crazier. And I read this one and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Listen to this one. There's this rule. It was okay to spit on a rock. First, great. We're all perfect, we can spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you couldn't spit on the ground because that would make mud, and you could mix up your spittle and your mud, and you could make mortar, and it could be used to build a house, so that's considered a work against the law. Now, what did Jesus just do? Like, with that in mind, knowing the the Jewish law, remember, it's, it's, it's not God's law, this is Jewish law. It's not civil law. This is Jewish spiritual law. And Jesus on the Sabbath heals this man doing something kind of fascinating. He doesn't spit on a rock. He intentionally, as Jesus does everything intentionally, spits in the mud and he mixes it up. And the word is very specific, isn't it? He says he spits in the mud and he mixes it up. And he uses that to build, to create, to restore. He used that mortar to build, create, and restore eyesight on the Sabbath, right in front of everybody, right after he claims to be God. On the Sabbath, he does something very specifically that is against their law, and you'll, you'll see they note that later. This is kind of awesome. It feels like Jesus, it may be, and maybe I'm reading into it, it feels like he's calling out false religion, he's calling out hypocrisy, he's calling out the abuse of spiritual law. It feels like a bit of a holy rebellion. Like, I'm going to show you what the law is. I created it. God in the flesh making a very clear statement on the corruption and the perversion of the law that he created. And as he does that, as he does that in one hand, as he's doing this holy, wonderful rebellion, he is creating and redeeming and restoring and building. So cool. Clear in Mark 7. Mark 7, there's this, there's this conversation. The Pharisees, they're just the they're they're most annoying humans in history. They just call out everything. And there's a scene where they catch disciples. This is going to blow your mind away if you're a parent because kids do this. But they catch the disciples eating without washing their hands. And they, said, they call out Jesus. They say, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus responds to them. Listen what he says. He says, you leave the commandment of God. And you hold on to, to the tradition of man. And he said to them again, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. Like you don't, you don't even care what the scriptures say. You just want to build up your own tradition, create your own law, do your own rules, and you don't even care what God says. You're missing the purpose not saying exactly what Jesus was doing because I don't know when I wasn't there, but as I read it, it just feels so incredible that we knew his time was near. He was just in the temple without any reservation saying that he is God. And now he's spitting in the mud on the Sabbath, mixing it up to create and to restore eyesight that had never been there, but he was fulfilling prophecy. And he's building his kingdom. Look at verse 7. The rest of it says... (laughs) Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. That's a whole other message. We're not going to do it. So we went and washed and came back seeing. So we went and washed and he came back seeing. You could end, we're not going to. We're, we could end that message. That, that is a sweet story. Like that account of this man born blind. This is a, take a big breath, take a, grab a drink. If you have to grab a drink, I'm going to do that. We're going to get into the second part of this story. This is where the raucous really begins. All intended by Jesus. All of it. All of it is intentional from the beginning. It, this thought, from the beginning of time, Jesus in his goodness, God the Father, the Holy Spirit together together, constructing this scene right now, right here in this place for this time, for us at this church, for them at that place. Jesus constructed this time, put it together with intentionality. He he wanted this man to live a life of suffering. Yes, you heard me. God allowed this man to live a life of suffering so his plan could be fulfilled, so redemption could come, so we could see and witness healing in a way that no one had ever seen before. Jesus, in his goodness, he's intentional, and he has a very specific design, and he's purposeful in what he does. In your life, too, and in this man's life. Purposeful, intentional in what you're going through. Look at verse 8. It's like this really cool conversation here. We'll read it like that. So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Someone said, He is. Oh, it is he. And the other said, No, but it's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. So they said to him, well, then how were your eyes open?" And he answered, this man called Jesus. He made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Here's what I want us to catch in that, that brief little conversation. Their, their question, and it's fair, is How? How did that happen? Is this not the guy that was, is this not, we know him. This guy's been here for a long time. How did, how did he get, so they ask him, how did you do this? And you know what? He changes the question and I love what he does. He changes it from how to who. This is, this is significant in your life. He's changing the question from how to who. In your conversations with the world around us, we need to change our question, their question from how to who. He says it was this man called Jesus. It was this man called Jesus. How are your eyes open? He responds, it was this man called Jesus. He explains his obedience. And the sweetness is he doesn't have a lot more he can say because he doesn't know a lot more. He just says, this is a man named Jesus. He told me what to do when I did it. And now I can see. We often get caught up in the house. In fact, I can think of specific moments in my life of suffering where I would say, I just, I got I to gotta pray this one out. I got to pray a little harder. I'm going to read more than I've ever read. I'm going to worship more than I've ever worshipped. And, and part of that is like this desperate need for Jesus. and that's sweet? Those moments bring me on my knees more than any other moment. The other part of it is me trying to earn or justify to get Jesus' healing. Like, is, is there something more I can do? How, how do they do it? How does somebody else do it? How, do, how does this happen? And when, when the blind man is like, hey, it's, it's, it's who? It's just Jesus. There's nothing a blind man did that was sitting there. There's nothing he did. It's, it's the who. It was just Jesus. I love that song. Like, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I, you, you can have all the world. I, I just want Jesus who's going to restore and redeem. They didn't love this. They didn't really accept it. Look at 13 with me. It says, they brought to the Pharisees, so they didn't like it, so they take this guy to the religious leaders, that's trouble, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day and Jesus made mud and opened his eyes, so the Pharisees asked again, how had he received his sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Remember, that's their law. They think he doesn't keep the Sabbath because he made mud. But others said, well, how can, a, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? So there was a division amongst them. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. You can kind of see this, this blind man's faith grow. The first time he's asked, it was a man named Jesus. The second time he's asked, he's a prophet. And we get to watch as his interactions grow here. You get to watch him grow in his faith. It's a man called Jesus. Now he's a prophet. It's not going well for the Pharisees. They're not enjoying the conversation. They continue to investigate. Let's look at 18. It says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents... His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He's going to speak for himself. I love the next part. It's put in parentheses and it's just giving us a little insight to why they would have said that. Parentheses, verse 22. His parents said that because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if someone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is, this is not an easy position for one of these parents to be in. It's not an easy position. This is not like, I think some of you would like it if we kicked you out of the church. Then you wouldn't feel obligated to come. This is not the same scene of being kicked out of this church. This is a very different situation. This is full, deep, spiritual and social excommunication. If you are kicked out of the synagogue, that means you can't do the repentance portion. You can't can't go to the church. You can't be part of the social connection. You can't be involved in the Jewish social life at all. You are excommunicated. You have nothing. You are removed. Your friends and family won't talk to you. You are excommunicated. That is devastation for these, these two. So these folks give the best answer they can. Listen, it is my son. He was born blind. I don't know who healed him. Ask him, he's of age. Kind of putting a lot on on their son, but he was of age. 24 says, So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. (coughs) Give glory to God. That's an actual expression that that Jewish leaders would, would use often. Give glory to God. And it just means, speak the truth now. Speak the truth now. It means give glory to God and speak the truth. They shortened it just to the first part. Give glory to God and speak the truth. But it's actually doing something else here. Remember in 8, Jesus was very clear who he is. He's made a very specific statement about Jesus being God, his divine connection with God the Father. He's made it very clear. And the, the Jews here are saying, give glory to God, admit he's a sinner. They're trying to divide the line that Jesus has just united. Jesus is saying, I'm God, and they're saying, hey, hold on here. Give glory to God and acknowledge that he's a sinner. This, is, this part of the story is so awesome for us. Listen to what he says. 25 says, and he answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. We use the word witnessing a lot. You have to witness. You should, I don't know, I grew up in like the 80s, 90s area, you like go street witnessing. This idea of witnessing is, is, be, is kind of blown out of proportion. And we kind of get scared and intimidated by witnessing. The, the idea is this, to be an eyewitness of what Jesus has done in your life. So Let's just remove some of the complexities out of the definition of the term. Witnessing is to be an eyewitness to what Jesus has done in your life. And he does this so well, because he's like, hey, hold the boat here, guys. I don't know whether or not he's a sinner. That's not the conversation I'm going to have. I want to tell you, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. What are you going to do with that information? Like, there's so much simplicity here. He's like, I can't answer all your questions. I can't have a theological debate with you. I can't argue against the Torah with you. I can't have all these discussions with you and know that I'm going to win. But what I can do is say what God has done in my life, and I'm just going to speak it boldly and confidently in the synagogue with a bunch of people that already hate me. I can't tell you if he's a sinner or not. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. How intimidated, let's just move this into our life for a second. How intimidating is it to try to witness to somebody that is aggressive? It's exhausting. Maybe most of us just don't want to do it. Maybe he doesn't want to do it. He's in a room full of them. It's like sitting in a chair with like 12 Richard Dawkins being all super mad at you because you believe in God. But there's this bizarre boldness because this man was just healed from death to life from blindness to sight so he has this particular boldness about him i i'm not going to answer all your questions what i can say is that i was blind and now i see what if we could start telling people about the stuff that god has done in our lives the exact same way what if we we put aside the, the desire to think that we have to win the conversation that we have to beat them at their own game, that we have to be smarter or more intelligent. What if we were like, okay, we can't do that. I can't do that. But what I can do is talk about all the good things that God has done in my life. Like the song we sang, all my life, you've been faithful. What if we just spoke of that as a church? Like in our, in our town, what if our service just went out and we we're just like, I can't argue all the things you want me to argue, but I can speak of the goodness of God in my life. Amen. It doesn't end here. None of the Pharisees just started bowing to Jesus at a response of what he said. We don't see any any evidence of that here. Look at 26, it says, and they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open, like they're relentless. They just keep saying the same thing. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, terrific. He answered them and saying, I've told you already. You wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become disciples? (laughs) Like, maybe I'm reading into it, but that is awesome sarcasm. If you're a person that doesn't love sarcasm, oh well, because that was awesome. It's just like, it's just so, it's, he's being grilled and challenged. He's being mocked and belittled. The cost of him speaking openly is going to expel him from a social community. He, he'll probably be excommunicated, it, it, but I don't think he cares because he's been sitting in the ground outside of the synagogue for so long without any sight. And, and I he just has this incredible focus on what Jesus just did. And he's just not swayed by the garbage around him that won't stop. Like, imagine if we were that focused on what God does in our life. You don't want to hear it, guys. Why do you want me to say it again? Do you want to become disciples? I also love that this is the first time he acknowledges this is the the step of his faith he's grown. Now he's a disciple. That's why I use the word also. I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus now. Like, what a sweet little thing to add in there. You know what? There's a man called Jesus. Now I see him as a prophet, and now I'm one of his disciples. Do you guys want to join? Look at their response. Verse 28, and they reviled him. They reviled him. They hate him. I don't really know what he's done. He was born blind and he sat. A rabbi he didn't know came by and restored his eyeballs so he could see. And they hate him because of it. Wow. They revile him. They, they hate him. And I, I think by the way I'm hearing him talk, he's like, oh, well. Oh well, none of you ever did anything. None of you ever built me up, encouraged me. None of you ever gave me eyesight. None of you ever changed my life or gave me hope. But this man named Jesus, this prophet, came along and he just opened my eyes and now I see. So oh well, revile me, hate me. I'm just going to say what Jesus did. I'm just going to speak the truth. He's not opposing anybody. He's not obliterating anybody. He's just speaking the truth of what Jesus has done. And church, listen, if if this is not the exact same story as ours, We were blind, but now we see. And if you don't know what that means, that you could be on the outside of Christ not understanding what all this is. I don't understand this stuff. I don't understand the word. And at some point, most of us here, were like, God just opened our eyes. He restored our sight, and he saved us from our begging life. And he saved me, and now we get it. And we know the cost of preaching Jesus. We know the cost of speaking truth is that they're going to revile us. Why? I don't know. They're going to hate us for for saying that Jesus restored and redeemed and and gave me life when I had nothing else. And the result is they're going to revile us. So what? So your family is sick of hearing it over holidays. Oh, well, so what? So your friends or your classmates or your peers are sick of it and they they mock you and challenge you or, or threaten excommunication. So what? What do you have to lose? And they reviled him, look at 28, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. <laughs> the response, just this, this account is awesome, the response just gets better. 30 says, the man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. He starts to use their words against them. This is amazing, you just said you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. He does his best here, in the next little little bit here, he does his best to just lay out some basic logic that they could follow along. He uses their words, their understanding to follow along. Listen what he says, 31, he says a few points. One, we know that God does not listen to sinners. Two, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, then God listens to him. Three, never since the world began has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind and four, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Their logic, their words—that's their, what they believe. Just lays it out. Like that is awesome defense of the gospel right there. I love this conversation. He—he's just his response is on point. It's simple. It's precise. Jesus healed me. That's all I know. And let's use your words against you. And he lays it out. Flawless argument. And they are like schoolyard bullies. Their response is so childish and funny that it's incredible to read. Don't read ahead if you, no, you can. 34, he says, they answered him, well, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? They've got nothing. They have nothing to respond to his list, his, his very logical list. They, he, he draws it out. And then they said, well, you were born in utter sin, and you're going to teach us? And then they cast him out. They have nothing And they cast him out, expelled, mocked, rejected, belittled, and all because this man is just sitting there blind. And we got to catch that as well, folks. There is nothing he did to earn Jesus' favor here, right? Read that over and over again. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do to earn the favor of Jesus. There's nothing. He didn't, there's no amount of righteousness, in fact, probably the opposite to that culture. He was a sinful man, or his family was sinful. There's no amount of righteousness that he did to make Jesus come over. Jesus, in it, listen, in his goodness and his grace, about to be stoned, running out of the temple, and his compassion for us stops, and he opens the eyes of the blind. He does the good work. Maybe this morning your eyes have been opened from the blindness of life. And maybe you're hearing God's word for the first time with clarity and you're thinking, I want to know more about this Jesus. This Jesus who who made mud and healed my eyes. This, This man who appears to be a prophet. This man that I want to become a disciple of now. And they revile him because of it. Remember that movie, You Can't Handle the Truth? That's what I feel like they're going through. You can't handle the truth. Look at 35. Oh, man, Jesus is so good. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and and having found him. Jesus hears this man is expelled, rejected, isolated, mocked, belittled, and Jesus pursues him again. Jesus hears he's been cast out, and having found him, he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Folks, this morning the question is applied to you. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of man? Son of man, a term from the Old Testament meant to say the son of God. And he answered, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. It is me. I am God. Do you believe in me? And he says, Lord, I believe. And he just worshiped him. So many of us know that story in our life. The first response is just to worship Jesus because he's worthy of it. He says, Lord, I believe, and he just worships him. The man's faith goes from a man named Jesus who made mud to a prophet who opened my eyes to defending him as, as sinless in the temple against religious leaders to, Lord, I believe, and I just worship you. His suffering had a purpose, and it's on display for all of us to see. His suffering had a sweet purpose, Jesus says in verse 39, he says, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not know me may see me. For those who see me, for, and for those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, So are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Folks, Jesus did come to earth to judge. To show those who think they know that they are righteous and holy, that they're not. And to show those who admit that they are sinful, that they need him to give them uh, sight and hope. Pharisees didn't even know how blind they were. In fact, they missed a very obvious prophecy from Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, 5-6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame... Uh, the lame man shall leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb shall be set free. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. One of our prayers could be, Jesus, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. This account of Jesus, a man born blind, and a group of reviling Pharisees is an incredible reminder for our suffering. Jesus can use your suffering. If you're suffering this morning, please come and get prayer with us, sit with us. But if you're suffering, know confidently that if you love and pursue and chase after God, he's going to use it for good, for his purpose, for his glory, so his goodness will be on display for us. Your suffering is not in vain, it's not without purpose. That's incredible to see the simple faith of a blind man. Sometimes we get caught up thinking our faith is not complex enough and we can't argue enough and we can't hold our own in a group enough. We can't fight enough to witness, but the simplicity of the story says just go and speak the truth of what Jesus has done in your life. It's that good. It's that simple because it's the Spirit that does all the work. It's not you. It's not your words. Reminder for us this morning that witnessing is not nearly as complex as we make it out to be. I'm crazy encouraged by this interaction. I'm so overwhelmed to see how Jesus pursues and heals and then pursues again and pursues again and pursues again all throughout scripture knowing that he is pursuing you right now. There's a good chance he's pursuing you right now you don't know Jesus and you haven't committed your life to Jesus and you don't have a clue what that means and why I would say it but you know there's something and your heart is being stirred and it feels like someone is whispering to you and you don't know how to control it and you don't have any authority over it and you don't know what to do with it please don't leave this place without knowing who Jesus is confidently then make that decision because if you know who he is you will pursue him and he will love you and he will cherish you and he will restore you and he will heal you and he will save you and there's no greater thing Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but just give me Jesus. Church, can you stand? Let's sing that. Just give me Jesus.